Hello there, friends. Andrea with The Hobbit Costume here. And you guessed it, today's conversation all centers around the wonderful world of Middle-earth. My guest today is Reno Loro, and I actually first heard him speak over on the Emmon Sewell podcast with Richard Rowland. And I wasn't fully satisfied with their conversation. There were things and questions I had, and I wrote Reno, and he was kind enough to appear on my podcast to continue that conversation. The main topic surrounding this discussion is Tolkien's reaction to a mechanized world, a world of machines, with his lore, writings, and story being a response to this world. I've been thinking a lot lately over the past few years about how to be in the world. And this discussion was very meaningful and really hit right on the topics I've been exploring. And I'm very much looking forward to hearing your response and what you think about it. Because it's not just people who like Lord of the Rings that will enjoy this conversation. It's about things that are much deeper level than that. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Reno. Hi, Reno. Nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you, too. Thank but you so much. But how do you say your last name? Uh, Laro is how Lauro. you say it. Um, yeah, okay. it's uh, from Naples. Uh, it's actually a family name from uh, my father's from the island of Ischia, which is the ancient Greek island of Pithecusis. Part okay, of so that Magna really Grecia. is appropriate for you to be in those orthodox circles. Then. Yeah, I, I you know, like uh, an ancient I, space. Yeah, that's the thing is right is being kind of in an ancient space. Um, it also helps that uh, um, I really love the story that, and you didn't even ask anything, but I'm just going to tell a story just to okay. get started. Tolkien, when he went, uh, he went to Europe with his daughter. Um, I think this might have been the 1960s, early 1960s. He didn't want to go to Rome. There was two places that he wanted to see: Assisi, okay, okay. Uh, as in Francis of Saint Francis of, okay, um, and uh, Venice, which was part of. The Venetian Empire was part of the Byzantine uh, um, trading network. And in many okay. ways, Venice was a Byzantine city. Um, oh. And so there's some connection there, I think. Something interesting about the inner workings of Tolkien and that. So well, I wonder, well, now I'm curious. So why why not Rome? And why, why yeah. was he leaning towards the Byzantine Empire versus, say, the more, well, the Roman Empire? Although yeah. the Byzantines did consider themselves the Roman Empire. I just Byzantine. learned that on a podcast. That's exactly right. They never stopped thinking of themselves as uh, Rome, and the Roman Empire really uh, didn't stop until uh, the mid 15th century. Um, I well, I mean, this is a that's a huge question. Um, oh shoot! Well, we have short... another. <laughs> this wasn't <laughs> this is, the this, reason for this podcast. This is the next episode. We're just setting it up <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, from 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 the start. Okay. Um, I, there's a couple of reasons, but um, let's just say uh, two things that we know for certain, um, or three things. One, Tolkien was uh, quite um, bothered by uh, the changes, Vatican II changes. Oh, right. right. So famously, I do he liked that Latin mass. He that bugged him, right? Okay. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, in, in not, not politicizing in any way, but I think he felt that there was an ancientness that was being cut off from, okay. and it was symbolic of, um, the, the modes of progress creeping into the ancient church. I think that's his suspicion. So that bothered okay. him. 
Um, he was um, friends with Father Gervais Matthews, um, who would off and on attend Inkling's meetings. He was a oh. priest, um, but also one of the foremost scholars of Byzantine history. In oh, I see. Okay. A. So teaching okay. there at Oxford. Um, and so Tolkien must have had some connection um, and conversations about Byzantium, okay. uh, the medieval aesthetics of light um, with right. Gervais this is something that I'm writing about right now. And three. Oh, Gond there's a number three? Yeah, the siege of Gondor may or may not have been. Um, uh, uh, we might not, we may or may not see echoes of the siege of Byzantium, of Constantinople. Oh, uh, interesting. Mm, so, okay. Uh, we'll well, for those of you who are still here. <laughs> oh, I'm no. sorry. I'm sorry. This no, is no. a Tolkien-themed um, yeah. uh, episode. Right. So actually, I, I, I have a feeling I, I want to do more Tolkien episodes because I'm really into it right now. So, so, okay, there's enough fans. Don't worry, there's enough Tolkien crossover of the Amun Sul. I'm hoping after this episode right. that we will be able to do more. <laughs> so, so there's a bit of a, a lead up to uh, why I ended up... Um, asking you to come on my show today. So I, first of all, I, you know, do these little uh, videos where I do like less than 10 minute monologues, making sense of certain things that are happening mm -hmm. that are on my mind. And so I did one um, regarding the Ukraine crisis, war, invasion, all of that. And it was more about to looking at Tolkien in times of crisis. That's so even though that was the technical reason I was making the video, it was like representative of in general times of crisis, difficult things, harsh realities. Mm -hmm. This one particular bit um, that Gandalf uh, was talking to um, and it's in the two towers when he calls he's Gandalf the White. He's newly Gandalf the White and he's talking about Sauron. Nope, not the right name. Sauron being um, a wise fool. And I, I just, that kind of struck a, a chord with me. So I'd mm -hmm. made a little video about, about it. But then, again, I had lots of positive comments, but the one, I wrote it to you uh -oh. already. You know this right. one. That's right. There was one where, you know, the guy was just angsty, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But he's like, you know, did, did Gandalf... Did, well, what are Gandalf's thoughts on the invasion of Afghanistan and, you know, or, or Iraq? And and so that's getting like he's taking it literally. And you know, so I, I'm like, OK, this is something I almost wanted to make another video about it, but I didn't know how to answer it. And then I heard right. you on the Amun Sul slash Christ and Tolkien podcast. OK. And um, and you you guys were talking about your. Sorry, you guys, you and Richard Rowland, friend of the show, mm -hmm. um, we're speaking about on fairy stories, but but particularly your uh, thesis that you, is it your doctoral thesis? It is. Yeah. It um, was. Ab yeah. About this situation of hyper realities. I'm paraphrasing your thesis. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to write it down yeah, somewhere. Yeah. You have it written down somewhere so you yeah. can quote it, right? Yeah, it's it, very, the, very convoluted. And um, it's it's a uh, beyond the colonization of human imagining, 
crafting mythopoeic life worlds as a response to hyperreality. Okay. That was that was the dissertation title. It's very dissertation-y, and it's yeah. uh, in in some ways, I mean, it's admittedly uh, obnoxious, mm -hmm. um, but um, it was that's accurate what it is. and precise. It is what right? it is. And that's what a dissertation title is: accurate okay. and precise. So. Okay, so so that, and again, that, that's one of the reasons why I felt confident in writing you, because I understood what it said. When when I really, I had to rewind a few times. Right. But I got, I, it clicked. So I was like, oh, that's why. But again, that needs unpacking. So mm. that's what we are here today for. It's a little bit of unpacking as to, I mean, I've heard it said, like even I remember I took like children's literature in university. So, you know, it, it, it that was said back then, like like in the intro level classes, you know, they say like, oh, yes. Yeah, so people like C.S. Lewis and, and Tolkien, like their work is more than real. You know, like the, it, it, it's hyper real. It's it's something that you can go oh, to. And, but it's OK. OK. But and, and I can say, oh, so it's good to go to those things in. You know, well, in good and bad, but particularly in difficult times, considering Tolkien started writing mm -hmm. his his. OK, I don't know the exact <laughs> the exact. I know he started What's writing. That? Yeah, the legendary. I know he started like writing on little leaflets in the trenches in World mm -hmm. War One. That's right. So I, I yeah. So that's why well, I don't know why that's true. I don't know why. So that's what you're here for. It's why do yeah. we. In, in times of crises, particularly, why do mm -hmm. we look to these epic stories these these that speak to our depths? Why do we look there? When it's yeah. like, well, that's not real, uh -huh. you know? Right. Gandalf right. and Iraq, no, that didn't happen. So this is, um, it's a deliciously big question. Okay. That's going to take, um, we might not be able to unpack it all, but what we should do is start to unpack the um, kind of, uh, unpack the coffee maker, so to speak, right? Okay. So that we can make sure that at the very least we've got coffee um, and toast uh, for breakfast. <laughs> okay. We're, okay, I'm not a, looking for a you know a fancy feast here. I'm just no, looking. no, no, no. And and I don't. And the only reason why I say that is because we want to make sure that we do due diligence to this. Right. But yes, as you kind of have suspected, right? Um, there's lots of kind of uh, intersections that are happening with this question. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, um, especially since uh, the the great success of Jackson's films, which you know we've talked about this. I mean, they're they're wonderful in their own ways. I've got we can talk about that too. I've got specific like critiques about it and thoughts about the way that it could have been or should have been and the reasons why. Um, but no, we'll, since... we'll wait. We'll wait until the Amazon like right. like I, I, I legit will. Let's do be that. Asking you again. Or rings on and we'll pride. do the what could have been should have been for Jackson's films. Along with the when when the the Amazon series is completely out, yes, that would be my pleasure. I, <laughs> that's okay. yes, yes, no, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Um, but since the release, right, we have this incredible explosion of Tolkien fandom. Okay. 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 Um, and that kind of presents that's it's wonderful, right? Like Tolkien wanted people to like read um, and enjoy. Um, now the question is, when it comes to fandom, fandom is a little different than let's say the way people read Dante when Dante's works yes. came out, right? Um, so and wait, wait, so wait, did, did oh sorry, sorry, to yeah, no, sorry. So in, in answering the, so I kind of distilled my question. So like, yeah. why is this a helpful way of 
facing reality? Why is yes. Tolkien's story helpful way of facing reality? Is the Jackson films, like, does that make it almost a different question? Like, I'm really more asking, mm-hmm. even though that's how I, yeah, that's I started getting actually more interested in Tolkien, but is it, why is this, as in this, the books, why are the books helpful? Like, the, that story. Or is that not, can it not be divorced from the, the movie, movies? Like, well, that's so, a great so question. So let's, let, let's start from unpacking. Start. What are we talking about here? That's right. Um, it makes it harder to answer the question because of Jackson's films and fandom. Okay. That's okay. I, let's let's just say that right. It makes it harder to answer that question um, because there's other elements mixed into it okay. that Tolkien knew about, um, but most certainly didn't anticipate the enormity of. Um, Tolkien obviously, like I mean, famously, The Lord of the Rings is written in the midst of World War II. Yeah. Right. As a matter of fact, in '44. Um, I was just reading about this uh, um, uh, the other night, but in 44, it's December of 44. It's the last winter of uh, of the war. It might be January. No, it's December of 44. And he's riding. There's a huge snowstorm. Tolkien is really grumpy. He's fallen off his bike three times going back and forth from uh, oh, school. Oh, literally? He's literally, literally fallen? Literally oh. fell off his bike like three times. I know. And he was just, it was it was an obnoxious day. And in the letter, he's writing to his son, Christopher, who at okay. the time was stationed in South Africa. Okay. And he says, well, uh, um, it appears uh that this war is coming to a close. Um, uh, and essentially says the only victor of the war is the machines. Right. Okay. Oh, okay. What will their next move be? He says. It sounds All like the he's lo- talking in the matrix yes. right now. Like, well, here's the thing. Uh, um, yes, but no. Okay. Right. Like there is a definite, he sensed, he was sensing that there is a shift in the mood of civilization itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but Tolkien, uh, it wasn't anything new to, to him, right? I mean, Beowulf is written in the midst of existential hardship and oh, suffering. Wait, wait, wait. I didn't know this. What? What? That... Yeah, well, okay, so, so okay, itself, okay, nor, right? nor audience. So, so... Beowulf is written in the middle, the midst of a an existential hardship and suffering. Okay, right, like the world itself was was uh, um, it was it was a tough world to be in. Well, remind uh, me of the yeah, Beowulf is probably written around the seven seven hundred. Uh, okay, well, it's an older than the seven hundreds, but probably captured around the seven hundreds. Okay. Uh, but the literature that Tolkien is reading and used to is um, in the midst of suffering and was used precisely for the way that you are talking about the Lord of the Rings and the Legendarium being used. Used okay. to make sense of the outside world. Used to make sense of um, how do we speak into uh, um, suffering. Not just as like a consolation, right? Um, but as Tolkien fa- famously said, um, an escape, right? Now, is, is this, is this in the, there's a quote I have here that right? I thought would be helpful. I have it up here. Okay. Exactly. So I'm going to, may, may yes. I, if you don't mind, do you, please, it's beautiful. Mind I read it? So why should a man be scorned if finding himself in prison, he tries to get out and go home 
Or if when he cannot, sorry, when he cannot do so, he thinks and talks about other topics than jailers and prison walls. The world outside has not become less real because the prisoner cannot see it. In using escape in this way, the critics have chosen the wrong word. And what is more, they are confusing, not always by sincere error, the escape of the prisoner with the flight of the deserter. Just so a party spokesman might have labeled departure from the the misery of the the Führers or any other Reich, and even criticism of it as treachery. Not only do they confound the escape of the prisoner with the flight of the deserter, but they would seem to prefer the acquiescence of the Quisling to mm. the resistance of the Patriot. So we even see a little bit of the first, the second world war brought in there. That's so, exactly right. So that's, so that I read that just mm-hmm. now. So I'm looking to you to deconstruct it for us, please. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, so just kind of a, a super s- simple annotation, right? Um, what's interesting here is that Quisling was um, a, a collaborator with the Nazis in Norway. Okay. Um, okay. Right. So he's talking about um, quite literally a traitor to people. So Quis, uh, Quisling uh, collaborating and f- and fleeing, right? It's a different, and here's kind of like a, a, um, a he, he's playing with the words of just kind of escape. But here, so what he's saying is that when we are talking about escape in the sense of fairy story, um, and let's just use Beowulf as a solid example mm-hmm. um, rather than contemporary, you know, uh, uh, Robert Jordan or something like that. Um, let's use a solid example of Beowulf. The escape that he's talking about is an escape into a more real world, right? Because certainly being inside of a prison is uh, a truncated, uh, it's it's a diminished existence, right? Mm -hmm. And when you escape from there, you're escaping into um, all the fullness and goodness, goodliness of life, right? Um, right. Also goodliness. A, a, goodliness is a good word. The goodliness, right? Um, there's also a, a little allusion here to kind of Plato's famous cave allegory. It's in the book of oh, the book. Oh, okay. I see it now, but I didn't see it before. But obviously, right? okay, of course, yeah. Um, now, you know, uh, we don't want to get too far because one, that's um, that's a, a little unnecessarily academic. But we can make a simple analogy that look, it's the same kind of thing, like moving away from a world of shadows and illusion mm-hmm. and moving into a more full and rich understanding of the world itself, right? Mm. Uh, now, um, here again, letter to Christopher Tolkien, here in On Fairy Stories, uh, presented, written, presented about 38, 39, just as in the midst of kind of struggling with writing the mm. sequel to The Hobbit, okay? Oh, He's okay. working through these ideas, right? He didn't want to write the sequel to The Hobbit. As a matter of fact, what he wanted to do was he he wrote his publisher and said, why can't we just go ahead and publish the Silmarillion? That's what he wanted. Oh, no. And they're like, no, oh, you know, oh, people no. like the hobbits and they're cute and um, just, you know, more cute hobbits. Okay. Um, so as someone who's in the five, midst of reading the Silmarillion, like, like yeah, with my book club, okay. we're discussing it. And some yeah. are like, I can't. Some are like, I love yeah. Lord of the Rings, but I can't. Like Others are like, I love it. But I yeah. feel like we're... 
we're not quite as numerous as those. No, who, like, I dig. Hey, you know what might be helpful there, and I've told uh, my students this too, is um, reading Hesiod's um, Theogony and Works and and Days. It's a super short. Uh, um, uh, piece, but okay. it was part of the kind of like ancient uh, Greek world, but it functions in many of the same ways. Like, right. it's, and so anyways, that's what Tolkien's up to in this Silmarillion. Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah. But, but anyway, so, so his, right. So, so, but yeah, history and cosmology, but typically yeah. mm, people don't flock to that. So yes, the story and uh, a narrative is typically what they, they yeah. appreciate. So he, then he moved on to Lord of the Rings then. Uh, no, he didn't move on to it, but he's like, okay, if you're going to want a sequel to The Hobbit, let's, how do we do this? And it's right. after he, he delivered the On Fairy Stories um, lecture mm -hmm. at the University of St. Andrews, my right. alma mater, um, he suddenly realized, oh, wait a second, this isn't a sequel to The Hobbit. This is part of the stories of the Silmarillion itself. Right. The Hobbit was never really intended to be a part of anything. Right. What he just the Lord of the Rings names, did. Right? Mm -hmm. um, he because they asked for a sequel, but he what he did is he dragged uh, the Hobbit into the Silmarillion. Right. Yeah. So when people say I don't like the Silmarillion, let's cut to the cool stuff. It's like okay, well, um, like the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit are part of the Silmarillion. The thing is, is that it's a history of the right. people of Middle Earth. Of the right. elves and human beings, right? Okay, I we digressed. Too much yeah, so, so yeah, we, we got a little bit of information monologue. there. So now we're going back to no, no, that's yeah. okay. You got me <laughs> monologuing again. That's exactly right. <laughs> so, so okay, we okay. So back to the the on fairy stories quote that I gave. Yes. And about okay. the idea of these things being more real, a little bit the platonic sense of things being like, is it is it like in the in like patterns of reality, like I'm gonna borrow from Jonathan Peugeot, it's it's the the patterns that are distilled, so that we can reach at those. Is that part of? I think part of it all? Um, uh, yeah. Without kind of uh, needing to adopt that language, whilst like I, there's, I, I think it's it's very helpful and useful. Yes, is the answer to uh, more clearly uh, see and uh, anticipate and connect to the deep things of reality, right? Um, okay. But but that doesn't really kind of answer the question about like the escape part into the real and uh, and his letter to uh, um, his son, Christopher. Okay. Right? Um, because um, along with that letter to his son, Christopher, he's also writing just the month before, writing the portion when um, Sam and Frodo are approaching Mount Doom, mm. and Sam says, "Don't the, don't the great stories never end, right?" Uh, and he's like, "Hey," and talking about a rendial, and then he says, "Oh, why, Mister Frodo, you've got some of that light in that glass that the lady gave you, yeah, right? Um, we're a part of that story too, I suppose." Yeah. Um, and so when he's writing his son, he realizes that World War II is also a part of this great story. Oh. Right? Yes, exactly. Well, I, well, well even not, with World War One yeah. and World War II, like being connected, but you mean even in the stories even of old moment. connecting Even all. in that moment, right? And so what's true and real about the Lord of the Rings continues to be true and real in the great evils that we confront in the here and now. Okay, sorry. It, it, yeah. it's, it's like, oh, 
why do I want to sort of weep right now? Totally, absolutely. It's like, it connect, like when you say when you when you connect it, when you like no, yeah. and 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 Sam does, and that was why we're like oh, we love Sam, we love Sam so much. What he says in his sweet, like this is again why childlike manner almost simple yeah. mm-hmm. man of the people when he he connects this he says something so um above you know mm-hmm. like so so deep that connects yeah. so up high above and below i guess it it, it, it connects to mm-hmm. um the the depths and the heart of it all and when we hear when you articulate it it's like oh that's true sam i know we're all in the great <laughs> stories we're all in the great stories. It's even more heartbreaking, Frodo's response, because he says, I suppose that our story will end uh, later or sooner. Yeah. Realizing that their moment in the story, it's not given how long we last. Like, right. we don't need to last at the end of the story. We could be, uh, to use a Star Trek analogy, like redshirted immediately, right? Um, wait, wait. And- Oh, oh, yeah, that took me That's a right. moment. Sorry, right, right. sorry, to all those non-Trekkies out there. That's right. It's uh, the, the, the unnamed crewman. Uh-huh. Is that what, that's what that is? Am I correct in my that's estimation? Right. They usually wore red shirts. Okay. And they died like three seconds. Within into five seconds. Yeah, three. Well, yeah. five if you're, you know, really giving yeah. up screen screen time. Yeah, yeah. Right? But what matters is what we do with the time given to us. Right. Oh, okay. Like, hello, quoting McQuarterson. Thank you. Now we're yes. like bringing it all together. It here, is. Right? It is. Uh-huh. No, it is. And because, okay, I am going to actually go back to my notes because I feel like Let's it's just getting. It's getting out of hand. I'm getting. I'm getting like to like oh concepts and the. So, but I actually thought it would be helpful to go uh-huh. over some to yeah. connect all of this, um, to go into the definitions of a few of the words in your dissertation okay. title. Okay. That's so great. So what does mythopoeic mean? Cause I, mm. at first I thought, cause again, when I was um, like, it was, uh, what is it? Like I was taking the dictation of this and writing it down as I was emailing you, asking you to <laughs> call yeah. my show. So my autocorrect thought it was mythopoetic, but it, it's not. Uh, it's, uh, I, I went back. Nope. He said mythopoeic. So what does that mean? Uh, so right in 1931, Tolkien uh, distills um, some ideas that he has had about the relationship between myth and story in a poem, Mythopoeia. Right. Oh, okay. So it's like a myth that's a story. Okay. Okay. Um, oh, but, I reduced it too much. Sorry. But a little bit too much. We kind of we have to repour the pot uh, okay. or the cup. Um, it's not just a myth that is a story, but in the poem. Right. There is what in kind of philosophy terms we might use um, an ontological relationship, which means that who we are in the the stuff of our stuff, like um, the fabric of who we are is like Mm. sewn to the fabric of the world and the fabric of language and the fabric of stories. Okay. Okay, that's all that Tolkien was about. So that makes sense. Did he make up that word or did he it was it just it was it came to be at his time? Well, um, uh, um, Mythopoeia, uh, um, he, he is using words that are in, like in so, right? So, so okay. poesis is Greek for simply, uh, making, oh, um, okay. it's also generally used poesis is used in ancient Greek, um, for the making of, uh, of, we get poetry from it. Right. So okay. it's not just a making, but it's a, it's a, a, a kind of poetic, uh, making, Um, And so what that poem is about is about the making of stories that 
capture what ancient myths also capture, right? Okay. So, and so this is the thing, why, why fandom is, is not always helpful. He's not a fantasy writer. Right, even though he's the father of modern fantasy. Right, yeah, <laughs> he's difficult. not a fantasy writer. He is attempting to craft for a world that has just gone through World War II, um, where he believes that the machines are the only victors, mm, mm. a mythology or a way of understanding self and world and language and stories mm -hmm. to kind of live truly in it. Mm, mm. Right? Okay, okay. Otherwise, we're, we're, we're prisoners of that world. Otherwise, we're prisoners of, oh, without it, we are prisoners. Like, we are. Yes. Oh, so he's not just talking yeah. about the POWs in. Or or the the Jews or the uh, whoever's captured by the Nazis in the Everyone. in the prison cell, we are metaphorically prisoners without the escape of these myths. Because the prison is larger, and this is where you were like, that sounds so matrixy. Yeah. This enter Baudrillard. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So can you right. explain who? Yeah. Baudrillard is and what he's about. So so and, and we'll use that because I'm sure that's one of the words uh, in that title, right? Uh, mythopoeic life worlds as a response yeah. to hyper reality. Because I, I'm uh, the next question I have is about like what is a hyper reality? Great. So hyper reality is not like um, um, a like, really real reality that's extra real. <laughs> Yeah, like that's the way can we use it uh, in common language. We have hyper real um, drawings and paintings, right? Okay. Uh, Chuck Jones, is AKA that his name? a photograph, would we? Right. That well, it. that's a little different because that's okay. a that's a that's there's something kind of photochemical happening there, right? Uh, we won't even get into that. That's like our photons actually being captured and like imprinted onto uh, uh, chemical paper, which okay. is a okay. Well, oh my concept. goodness. Okay, so it is. Please. That's that's right. Oh, I thought I was just making a funny aside. No, no, no. You're like, no, <laughs> no, no, no sorry. We had to get into it. That's the so thing. There th are there's no sides. Okay, um, I'll remember but, that for next uh, time. Okay. Uh, okay. So the Matrix, um, in the very first film, uh, uh, um, Neo goes to his shelf and uh, mm -hmm. somebody comes to the door and asks for something. And so he goes to his shelf and he pulls a book off mm -hmm. and it's Simulacra and Simulation, Jean Baudrillard. And he opens okay. it up. And he takes out this thing and he gives it to this person and they leave. Close okay, something's to do with the book. I'm going to take a guess. The idea of hyperreality, um, the Matrix is kind of a, it's a knockoff of the idea. It, you know, it's, I mean, it's rad. I mean, we can, we'll deploy that term here. But um, um, the idea is, the idea is that um, in a world uh, that, that, that there is a historical uniqueness to the world that we live in. Okay. Um, that is shaped by certain factors. Okay. Uh, reproducible technology, um, right? So industrialism, but reproducible technology. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I want that teddy bear. It's so special and I love it, right? Pull one off and there's 32,000 still on the shelf, right? right. Everyone right. gets to have the special thing. Mm -hmm. So reproducible technology. Advertising, which is the kind of, mm, we'll say, meta consumption of particular items. Man, I wish I had a Starbucks. You mean coffee? I've got some coffee. No, I wish I had a Starbucks. Specifically. Okay. okay. Right. Okay, so uh, this is sorry, this is the hyper reality. This, this is, is the hyper reality the, okay. stuff. This is okay. what Baudrillard trying to kind of get at what Baudrillard is talking about. And also um, a, a particular way of relating to the world. So this is the kind of connection that Tolkien and Baudrillard might have. They're okay. both seeing at a similar 
point in history. Baudrillard is slightly later. Okay, I was uh, going to ask his dates. They overlap. Baudrillard okay. uh, um, is he's um, working at full speed in the seventies. 80s and 90s um he's very much impacted by the 68 protests in um in paris he's a he's a marxist um after the 68 protest um famously the students who had been protesting um all spring for justice and for rights and for change in france all left for summer vacation they're like okay you gotta have your vacation he's like wait a second what 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 happened to the revolution right so this like, is what spurs him on to be like well what what did happen okay what did happen to the revolution and that essentially um protest against the systems and structures is absorbed into the systems and structures because what and what it gets us to do is to um want and desire and live in a realm that is in many ways disconnected from what we might say the real okay Oh, so hyper-reality is, is a step away from the real. It's how, step, I don't know how many steps away. It's a step away from, but here's the kicker, and we don't have to get too deep into this, but I think con, kind of conceptually we can start seeing parallels with Tolkien. Um, it gets us away f- uh, from the real because of our obsession with the real. And now in this sense, it's like the material real. It was the, the materialist real. The, right. Exactly. Yeah. Hard, hard. Right. And so when you want more and more of it, what it really does is kind of begins to separate us. The, the really kind of um, tragic and 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 and, and not so couth um, um, example, the best example to give um, and we'll drop it and then leave it. But is pornography. Right. OK. OK. The idea that like, oh, this is more real than anything. In actuality, you're getting further and further away from intimacy from oh, right. I'm I, like sitting what in, a human body uh, is so, right like uh, there's a screen and there's you sitting in a chair yeah yeah and that's right right you, so just kind of layers and layers of yeah disconnected yeah, from ourselves yeah. not yeah. just from each yeah. other but from ourselves right. our right. bodies from the world from anything right. um right. And so that's a, a, in a nutshell what Baudrillard is getting at and Good say for, you for being able to do a nutshell because I know that it's difficult I'm not sure if it was. It was kind of like a. It was no, like it a. Was. No, I, 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 I was. I followed. So Brazilian that's, that's nutshell. Good. Okay. Not, uh... Okay. Okay. <laughs> so from there, bringing we now know what hyperreality is. When you we know what you mean by it. So bringing it back to you looking at that in your thesis. So. All right. Let's look at that in your the context yeah, of your okay. thesis with regards to to Tolkien. Yeah. So with regards to Tolkien, right, um, we might think that um, crafting mythopoeic life worlds is a theological response to hyperreality. Baudrillard doesn't think that there's a, kind of an escape to this. Okay. Or he, he does, but there's Is it more very... nihilistic, his view then, or...? He does. Uh, um, uh, Nietzsche is very important to him, and it, he does in his late work. I never had a chance to meet with him. I was going to go and study with him um, in Paris. Baudrillard? But, uh, yeah, but, but they were like, you know what? He's very sick right now, um, and he's not taking any students. Oh, um, I'm sorry. And so there was a conference in Wales that he was going to be at um, in which famously – so I went to the conference to try to like talk with him, and he wasn't able to attend the conference. But famously, oh. he gave um, a keynote speech in absentia on disappearance. 
oh, wow. So he was going real meta with it. And also so we can see the kind of the nihilism and the leveling and the disappearance that essentially. So Baudrillard famously said, and, and, and he caught a lot of flack for this during the 1991 Gulf War, which okay. famously, if people don't, some might remember and some might only kind of know about just the name from, you know, Wiki or something like that. But it was the first war of the CNN age. Mm, okay. Mm, okay. So the Gulf War was really experienced by the American public in real time. Right. Um, as bombs exploded and only experienced through the CNN um, screen. Now, Baudrillard famously said the Gulf War never happened. Now, people are like, wait, what are you talking about? So this is kind of to the person who's like, does Tolkien have anything to say about Afghanistan? Right. Um, right, right. What he meant was that the Gulf War, the reasons why it started, what was actually happening on the ground, the experience of war there, the effects on the people, the repercussions of the war mm. in that space and in the, the souls of the American public, mm. we have no idea what happened. As a matter of fact, it's been complete, we've been completely separated from it because the only Gulf War that we understand to have happened was the one through the media. Through the and me the okay, through the lens. Okay. Through the okay. lens, essentially. That's a good, yeah. yeah. I just like to reduce things, and sometimes it works out. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't, uh, but sometimes it does. So, uh, now, now, so he doesn't think that there's an escape from that. Oh, right? so he doesn't. So he's more, like, there's nothing you can do. This is just He doesn't it. think that there's an escape from it, that okay. we're caught in it, that we're caught no in hope. the consumer circle, we're caught in right. the consumption, we're caught in all of this. Now, Enter Tolkien the, fandom, right? Right. Enter Tolkien fandom. Yes. The, the the problems of which, which in many ways take Tolkien's legendarium and attempts to pull it into the hyper reality through the, through the love and devotion, through wanting to kind of have you know um, the One Ring uh, um, uh, script on your you know on the back of your neck tattooed or the oh. the Frodo tattoo on your calf or something okay, wait, like wait, that. Wait, 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 wait! I just realized I forgot. Now, to... please forgive I me if there's any one of those no, tattoos on I you. I, I, but I, know, I need to show you my. I was mentioning to you the other day oh, yes. about my my art. Yes. So this yes. is my. Oh, that's hey, this that's is... what we. And that's what? from high school, right? Yeah, yeah. I, that's I incredible likeness, yeah, though. Yeah, this is my Frodo. That's him looking into uh, the bowl of Galadriel, right? I don't. It's a. It's just. I don't know. It's a. I took. I got the picture from Google. No, let it's, me. It's see. just a picture. It, it, it's not from. I think it might just be a, a, a test shot. It's black and white. It's hard to tell. There's I no gotcha. background. They might be a student. Now, shot. Anyway. this is important because this is this is different, right? Like, but mine's, uh, mine's a one of a kind. But if I started making prints, because I've actually shared this on Twitter, oh, and someone nice. said, "Do you make prints?" and I was like, "I don't know how to do that." So anyway, That's sorry, true. that was an aside. I had to, I just had to show my my intense fan girl. No, no, this is fantastic. And <laughs> yeah. also, um, um, let's make sure because we need to keep this honest. Because I mean, this is these this is very offensive, right? Because we love Tolkien and we want yeah. to, uh, you know, talk more uh, uh, about um, and and revel in, but it's not the kind of reveling that he would want. Okay, but wait, wait, wait. Is there not a okay? I need to. Sorry, I need to be. The painting's I need to go in the, So the is paint my is my painting? Is it like? 
Because there are some, no, 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 it's not just my painting. There are some beautiful Tolkien art, yeah. artistic renderings of different, like individuals and, and spaces and air. And he did art himself of his world as well. Yes. Um, so, so are there right ways to represent the legendary? I'm going to being... catch flack for this. Uh, let me just say this in a hypothetical way. I like, think it's my painting. The, I do I need to cast of... it into Mount Doom? Like, what do I need to do? No, it's great. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I threw you off. With no, my, no, it's it's absolutely wonderful. With my uh, my intense. No, but there's also like worry. contact to kind of the pop art kind of tradition, yeah. right? So yeah. this is kind of modern art, um, in the pop pop art tradition that's yeah. bringing in something from the culture itself, and yeah. and right there's something. What Tolkien would want though, and what uh, um, is for people to um, make paintings. Um, informed by the language and cultures of middle earth what would that look mm, like mm. or to make clothing or to make books and paper or to um right so there's a there's a kind of a, a subtle difference here and we see that this is one of the mm. great uh, the great successes of jackson's films is the art mm. direction right the clothing he, he takes it he very much right? takes the direction from the Tolkien's armor, words yeah the, the swords i mean an incredible beautiful sense of craft and even like even though they're they're rendered um as fictions the architecture as well right mm. so these are wonderful things now um the reason why this is important to kind of point out to you is that there's something more going on that tolkien demands of us okay okay um, and what that thing is, it goes back to this kind of scary philosophical term, ontological, mm -hmm. right? Remember, we're sewn to the way we speak, the way we, uh, the world, each other, to the the, the fabric of, of reality. Mm -hmm. um, he would want us to kind of have a change of, uh, what we might say, a change of disposition in reading these stories. Okay. Um, where we begin to have a sense of humility, a sense of wonder, mm. uh, a, a sense of uh, um, not environmentalism, but to be able, when the wind blows through the trees, to have a sense of gratitude, of the mysteries of that sound, and to even um, write poetry that may um, uh, um, capture the, the, the rich depths of this. Now, some people might say, oh, well, that sounds like an ode to a nightingale, right? John Keats, romanticism. This is what the romantics were up to. And many people have tried okay. to kind of connect Tolkien to the romantic poets, right? I can see that, yeah. An ode to the nightingale, absolutely beautiful. Um, and a night, the song of a nightingale, um, you kind of move into the mysteries of the forest and the elf-like nature of this thing and the kind of you return um, all on the kind of the notes of the song of this kind of beautiful creature, right? There's more to it than just bird of a particular genus and species mm -hmm. and a particular rhythmic sound that it makes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Tolkien, um, uh, and so this is why his work has everything actually to say about all the things in which we encounter um, in this modern world, especially mm -hmm. in a world run by the machines. Um, I'm going to cut that off there. So maybe well, we kind of like bring it back well, to I do, the... I do. Okay. Because I have some thoughts regarding yeah, yeah. Just, just some analogies of to see if this actually tracks with what you're saying. So with regards to the... Um the hyper reality thing with regards to fandoms 
and how right. Tolkien's fandom itself is participating in this sort of hyper reality. So, so I'm gonna people are gonna be so upset at me. It's great though, but it's important to talk uh, about. Well, I, I, I am part of the. I am literally I am of the Jackson generation. Like I, I have mentioned to you the other day how I, yes, I, I read The Hobbit in grade seven. I had seen the Rankin Bass, like nice. weird, weird great, looking cartoon. It's very hippie. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like it is. So, so that was. It, it didn't create the fandom in me, but I thought it was cool. At the time, we wrote letters to um, other classmates in runes, and you had to like de, like you had to like uh, you know Do like it. like de decode. You, you want to say decode it? I That's know, it. Yeah, decode. It. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, and I still have the letter somewhere. Actually, I found it the other day. I was like, oh, this That's is great. nice. So, so that was. But th there's a, something special. Through I like like that because I'm like this was before I saw Lord of the Rings. Right. This was before I was a fan. Right. This is me un, untouched, unsullied by the... I actually, I didn't think those words, but I had the feeling. Yeah. I had the feeling of like, oh, this is kind of special because it's to do with Tolkien before I knew. Yeah. But again, it's not bad to become a fan, but there's something, no. whatever. So there's a something... Well, what does that word mean, right? We should ask ourselves after you tell well, us fanatic, this, right? Well, fanatic, right? It's, it, in some short ways, it's short for fanatic, but it really has kind of a consumer aspect to it, right? Okay, yes, the consumer. Okay, okay, so I'm wondering if I have, this is something I've noticed, and you can tell me if you think this is a part of that hyper-reality mm -hmm. getting more and more realized, I suppose. Yeah. I've noticed that um, shops, like fan shops, uh -huh. like fan items, like I right. went to the Jane Austen Museum in Bath in 2000 and. 11. That sounds fantastic. Yes, it was wonderful. Yeah. I remember there was, like, I have a, a Mr. Darcy, Colin mm -hmm. Firth, a bookmark. Because that was the best they had. Like, they didn't yeah. have very, like, they had the books. They had a couple other stationary type things. I think uh -huh. you could maybe buy a fan if you wanted. But then that's it. And now, I follow them on Instagram now. I found uh -huh. them recently. And they have nightgowns and bonnets and jewelry, Regency jewelry. Like, they have... I don't think they actually have Regency dresses yet. Yet. But right. they have all of the things. And then also with the... Um, I, I don't remember if they had it. I know that there's like a Lord... Like I know there's the OneRing.net, which has been around for a long time. But the I know there was an official Lord of the Rings Weta Workshop um, website. Yeah. And they had I've the items... It. You could buy them and and ha and possess them, my precious, right? I should have brought it down. I have like I have a one ring, like I have it with the chain. Like I I happen to have a chain that looked like the chain, so I still have kept it. And I brought it out and showed my kids in the Hobbit. I was like, oh guys, look at this, and they're like, oh mommy, actually no, one of my kids went in went into my room and found it, and I was like, oh mommy, this sort of looks like the ring that Bilbo found. This looks like Bilbo's ring. And I was like, huh, does it? I did not tell them. I did not tell them to go look for it. And I did not tell them that who what it was. <laughs> so I just thought it was pretty awesome that they just knew. Anyways, so, but I, I have a plan. I, again, this might be because of the, okay, there's a question in here. I'm so sorry. I'm just no, it's great. Because these are all, there's all, rich stuff. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, so I have a plan. So it's, I, it, I've read The Discarded Image with, by C.S. Lewis. I've talked to Richard Rowland about it. Okay. I've talked about the sort of uh, difference, the, our modern context versus the uh, medieval way that people view the world, which is the 
way that Tolkien probably was going for, like, maybe we could view it this way through Lord of the Rings, you know. So anyways, I have, I didn't think, oh, because of my new ways of being and my new interests, I'm going to get rid of that one ring that I've had for ages. It's not because of that. I just thought that I've held on to it for so long and it's nice to hold on to things to remember, but I just, I heard my, um, my online pastor, I call him his Paul Vanderclay. Um, he, he said something about the, him and his kids got a, a risk, Lord of the Rings risk, and it came with a one ring and they went and like flushed it down the toilet right away. So I actually, when I started reading, I didn't, it didn't dawn on me to do this, but I remembered that story as I was reading The Hobbit and my kids came and saw and found Bilbo's ring. I was like, I think at, when we finish The Return of the King, I think I want to take them out. I, there's no um, volcano mouths in, in Calgary, Alberta. But I was thinking of taking them out to like in, in the middle of a lake and having like and us like dropping it in. Yeah. Kind of like, I guess more in like the, the Isildur mist losing it in the, the lake, right. in the river. But like, but I, I, I thought it'd be cool to let it go. Part of me wonders as we're talking, maybe there was a depth of like this consumery, like, but I want, but it's literally precious. My precious, it's, it, it's the representation yep. and keeping it feels yep. like I'm participating in the machine. So I'm, so is that a thing? Like, is the, the fan stores becoming more populated with more and more replicas of things from movies that we want to possess? And then my like wanting to not participate anymore and get rid of it. So what do you, what do you think of those, of that? Yes. Yes. That's yes. That's, I, I think that is, um, and just to elaborate a little bit more, I, I think that that's spot on. I think the... I'll use a, a Tolkien example to uh, to elaborate. In The Hobbit, The Hobbit is a story about uh, going to uh, free um, treasure mm -hmm. from a dragon. Yeah. Okay. Quite but at the beginning forward. of the story, yes. mm -hmm. uh, there is mention of were dragons. Okay. That live out in the east this idea of were dragons and suddenly we begin to realize that where where like uh, like like where like isn't where the like anglo-saxon is isn't wasn't it where man like where man and woman and where man and now it's just man it's uh -huh. short uh -huh. and and so when you say werewolf um you're basically saying um man wolf uh, a man wolf right? right and so um so man dragon what so suddenly we realize that, and I don't think this is this is uh, this is a, a Rena Laro thing because I don't think I've I've heard this anywhere. So um, okay. and it's being captured, so it's it good. It sounds and like here, you have yeah. your own lore, anyways. Cool. But um, we suddenly meet uh, Bayorn, who right, shape shifts a, a into bear. a bear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then suddenly we realize that there's something called um, um, being uh, caught in the uh, the uh, kind of a dragon trance, right? And suddenly we realize, wait a second, this story is really about people that look like human beings but are really dragons and have the heart and hoard, hoarding nature and the jealousy of a dragon. Okay. My boy asked me, um, are there such thing as werewolves? And I'm like, yes, there are. But no one has ever lived to see when they transform. 
But there are people out there who are in the skin of human beings, but are really wolves wolves. inside. Well, literally the wolf of Wall Street is a movie. Well, literally, about, it's a um, it's a movie, right? No, no, I know, but, I know, but that's 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 art imitating life, isn't yes, it? Yeah, of yeah, what no, you're the describing. idea that this person is a wolf, right? That's the celebration of this. But right. it takes a different um, uh, view uh, when we get kind of really intense and we think of like a Ted Bundy or something, right. who was right, a right, werewolf. Right. Yeah, yeah. And well, in that well. moment of of terror, right? God forbid, right? Transformed was not human and transformed into some beast right so and with the were dragon we have that too that we can have the heart of and the and the and the uh, transform into the greed of a dragon itself so the precious the ring itself right mm-hmm. um the while there's lots of things that we can kind of bring into it from you know the the, the ring of gaiges from plato's republic or bring in uh uh the, like the, Sigurd's the ring uh, we can bring like in the Sigurd's ring as well, right? Okay. These are kind of ring stories. But at the heart of it is what the ring does, right? And Sauron, right, what the ring does and represents and the wanting of it. Uh, it's not the wanting of the ring, but the wanting and what we do for the wanting and the kind of uh, the um, the misaligned or... Uh, um, uh, um, out of tune desiring that the want that the wanting kind of exaggerates, right, is the thing. And so when you're saying, I want to hold on to it because I want a piece of that thing, it's like, exactly. You don't want the story, right? Or you don't want uh, the world. We just want the we want to we want to own and possess want to okay, right, right. For my own kind of thinking and 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 doing and and for pleasuring, right? right. Um, right. And so that's in many ways missing the point. And what Baudrillard is talking about with hyperreality, um, Baudrillard didn't say, doesn't point this out. Um, uh, Umberto Eco does, another uh, uh, semiotician, but he talks about Coca Cola and the idea that it's the real thing. Right, right. Or we might think of Pepsi. And back in the day during the 60s, the way that Pepsi Cola captured the protest generation, the Pepsi generation. Right? Oh, oh. If you're, okay. if you're of this generation, you get it. You're the Pepsi generation. Okay, see, I didn't know that that's what Pepsi did. So so part of me thinks that Coke kind of won in capturing because Coca-Cola's whole thing has stayed, maybe it stayed a little bit. Does yeah, that... like who drinks Pepsi anymore, right? <laughs> well, well, I mean, I remember they really tried, Pepsi tried really hard in the yeah. late 90s, early 2000s. I remember they like, co-opted britney spears uh-huh. to do pepsi right. you know but like but but sorry going back to coke it's the real thing but it's also the the christmas thing like they yes. they, they made themselves i have warm soft cozy feelings when i see a coke like the commercial with the christmas train and like yeah. the coke with the polar bears and or and the, the coke santa and the coke fr- commercial from the 1970s which Mad Men famously ends, yeah. kind of saying that yeah, Don yeah, Draper developed yeah, yeah. this. I want to give the world a Coke. Yeah. Right? That was capturing it's the It's a feeling. Mood. It's it's a feeling. It's, exactly. a, it's selling feelings. Okay, so that's that gets into yeah. very our very is, is that part of the hyper reality thing? Absolutely. Selling feelings? Uh and bu- buying feelings. And buying so selling and buying. So it's trading yeah. and the way you're describing it makes it so clear. How we are actually participating in a in the the world of I, I, an idea, concept, feeling, 
but in a commodity consumer yes. space. Like I yes. want content. I want to generate more content for my audience to consume. Yeah, and we see this with cinema. We, I mean, we want to be careful, right? Because um, when we when we pedal in, uh, so so just one caveat, one warning for us okay. as we talk about this. It's easy to kind of slip into Marxian language. Uh, I was just doing that with the consuming thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And exchange, yeah. like, but but it's a real thing to kind of think about because it's a it's a real event that's happening. But what we don't want to do, and I think where Baudrillard goes off. It, it, um, kind of leads us astray is that that is a world itself that is only a, a kind of a material uh, exchange world, a world of right. material exchange and, and peddling only in material exchange right, so that right. even work and what it means to be a human being, which is defined just by work and power, right? Ex power relationships. Um, yeah. That, that um, it, the that itself trick and kind of leads us down uh, the dead end. But um, you're absolutely right, especially now, human beings, 21st century West, we are um, citizens of the technocracy. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is, uh, it, for all intents and purposes, almost uh, inescapable, though we do see kind of subcultures um, uh, and movements that kind of attempt to move away from that. And I'm very sympathetic to all of it, right? Because, and, and even, I've been wanting to say this for a long time, so I'm going to articulate it here just for the um, uh, for the shock value. But even sympathetic to like um, uh, even sympathetic to uh, the flat earthers, God bless them. Um, insofar what? as that. No, no, no. Listen, listen. It, it, um, and in no way. I mean, it, like there, there's kind of undeniable and undeniable. But um, like to push back and say, oh, you know what? You think that you know everything about science? There was a there was a time in which we had a different relationship to Earth and to science and to stories. And like I get that. Like, I mean, so with the flat earthers, though, we have to say um, that these kind of subcultures they're attempting to push back against this mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And many of them, like flat earthers, right, um, are um, hopelessly and undeniably. Uh, um, uh, misguided. And what Tolkien wanted to do was to kind of create a framework to say, this is what pushing back against this looks like. Okay. So I, yeah. So bringing it back. Yes. Cause that's like, that was my next question was going to be, okay. I saw so... your eyes there. You got worried. You're like, Oh no, oh, no, no, no. Where's the interview going? <laughs> no, no, I wasn't. I was, no, actually what I was thinking was, well, we're all flat earthers in practice. Oh. But anyway, Oh no. But I, okay. I, I, I'm stealing that from Jonathan Peugeot. Because he yeah. has a piece, he has a piece on, yes. on that. That's right. But um, no, but but that is my next question, and you brought it back, so thank you. So so about oh, so now we we've really flushed out the or fleshed out. I don't even know which it is, flushed I, out or fleshed out. Okay, I think flesh. Fleshed out. So we fleshed out. We flushed what down. Hyper flushed real. Out. <laughs> what hyper reality is? So this is where we're coming from, yeah. and then your your saying in your um, dissertation that. This is what a response is to this. Like Tolkien, yes. Tolkien's world is the yes. response to this. Yes. And I don't know if this is true. The appropriate response to this, or this is what Tolkien was doing his himself, or are we using him him in mm. that way? That's like, a which is it? Fantastic question. Yes, is Thank the answer. You. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I am of the opinion, and so this is what. Um, uh, I'm going to qualify my appropriate fandom 
I am okay. of the opinion that I'm it, the right one. Yeah. This is the correct response to the technocracy. Let, let's say this, right? Like Tolkien, he's a, of a generation of thinkers and philosophers who are seeing this. Yes. They okay. get what's happening, right? Um, uh, there's some pushback in philosophy that's that's occurring at the same time in literature. It's occurring at the same. It's so like people are seeing seeing this. I think with Tolkien, what we see is something kind of unique and different. What he says is that the only appropriate way to respond to this, one is theologically oriented and grounded. And in the tradition, but it doesn't pretend or peddle theology, right? This is why okay. he's very specific in saying, oh, you know, there's not theology, there's not religion in this or kind of religious structures in this, right? The only appropriate response is to retrieve and to excavate and to and to bring back into fashion um, a way of it living and relating and existing. Um, to language, to the world, to each other, um, mm. that is literally a kind of uh, counter universe within this mm. to kind of open up. But he does it in such a way where, like, he wasn't a weirdo, right? He didn't go and, like, live in a cabin and have long nails and grew his hair. Like, he was an <laughs> Oxford Don. He was an Oxford man all his life. Mm -hmm. Um but his relationship mm. to that world in that city was inextricably different from other people's relationship. And we sense that, like we get it. We want to see the world in the way that he saw it. And hopefully mm. if there's enough people, Shire's form, um, mm. ways of making and exchanging form, mm. things that we appreciate form, um, something as simple as like just that's why like his appreciation of tobacco right his relationship to ale and to wine and to i'm thinking like a really good nice cup of coffee in the morning for in the americanized version well i am kidding well, but the North and American there's those version. things but all these simple pleasures right um that are um, experienced as not the caffeine delivery device right, right. which you could take a pill for uh right. uh Right. Um, no, it's the ritual. But, no, it is the ritual. Yes. It's the ritual. Well, yes. it's part of it. It's part of what kind of helps make it about the thing itself. Right. Ritual right, does it, that. Right. The yeah, but but the ritual of I don't. Okay, my husband is just getting into uh, pipes. Like like oh, nice. like like vintage yeah. pipes. He hasn't gotten into it quite yet. We he has it, and right. it looks so cool. And it just is it. I, I imagine there's a sort of process to filling fill you know getting the t the tobacco oh, right. and filling it up yeah. and like are are you a pipe man are you um i i used to be so i've i um i'm uh, of the appropriate age where i've lived a, a couple of lives and i had a good like pipe uh, run especially <laughs> while i was writing my dissertation um and was away for that for a little while but upon kind of meeting richard and 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 talking more and stuff like uh um have been drawn back into uh, back into the, world the lovely treasures of that but you know whiskey the different smells and tastes of whiskey right, um, the, the different smells the and and notes yeah. of coffee right? right grinding grinding your own right. coffee and feeling yeah. those beans crush 
under the weight of your arm. Extended. Oh, I use, I use an electric grinder. Right, exactly. But I mean, Wait, I feel like things. I've removed myself. Yeah, so, so no, no, the no. idea of, of, no, but like the going through the motions of like, but but not in a in an absent way, going through the motions specifically. Um, like, like the idea of looking at things, going through ritual. And I, I even have been doing this with my plants. I, I told you that the other day about mm-hmm. how yes. I'm looking at the plants in a way that tree beard would look at the trees. I am like, this is a living thing and I'm uh-huh. watering the living thing. And I try to, and I forget sometimes and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I forgot to water you yesterday. And also, also a friend of mine, I was talking about this with a friend of mine and she said, yes. Oh, that reminds me. I, I keep forgetting to introduce my new plant to the other plants. So it's not just me. She has this own, her own thing there. And I, I thought, oh, I'm going to do that too. I, I didn't think about introducing the new plant this to the, yeah. to the other existing plants. But again, I, don't, I know we can get too far with act, treating them as, as people. But, but it's, it's just looking at it as an, they're adamant objects. They're not inanimate. Yes. They have souls. Yeah. And, and also to add to this, lest we kind of uh, go down too far one way and not kind of bring in the whole fabric, right? This is one of the beautiful things about the discarded image, right? That, that, that Lewis points out is this kind of fabric of the medieval world and how various it was, mm-hmm. but how it was able to kind of hold all of these different ideas and traditions together, right? Mm-hmm. The same way in thinking about Tolkien's kind of mythopoeic life. Um, that yes to that, but also what is the name of this plant? Not like its personal name, but what, what name does this plant, has it been called? Um, remember that he lists all the names, right? Like, uh, yeah, right. That Aragorn asks Sam if he knows of a certain plant and Sam being a gardener only knew it's kind of common, um, vulgar name, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but not its ancient use. Yeah. So even there, just in that small picture, we right. see the forgetting of a common gardener of the ancient and special uses of a particular plant. Right, uh, right. So knowing its names and the way that it's been called, and what are these words? What words were used to call this plant a particular mm. name? Mm-hmm. And how was it used? And, 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 and investigating that, importing those relationships to the plant back here what prayers are said when one comes before this plant or you pick a certain flower does the tradition have anything like that and why yes. would they say those things right yeah no yeah that, that's something that has come into my mind in the sense that all my little right? plants are on on a little ottoman by the by the window and it kind of looks like a bit of an altar Right. An altar to plant to plantness. And indeed, we see that. Right. Again, I don't think there's anything wrong with environment, uh, environmental concerns per se. Obviously, like it's a good thing to have healthy water within a certain hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah. But the environmental movement can in many ways become or it has become like what you were worried about, the kind of plants being stuck there a religion in and of itself, completely devoid of all of these other aspects. Okay, so that's the, the fandom. History. That's Tolkien's it's fandom. It's kind of like a it's fandom. It's become its own separate yes. apart yep. from... And it's kind of, it's living in a realm beyond what Baudrillard said, borrowing an analogy from Borges, the uh, great Argentinian writer. He said that uh, the map of the landscape, the landscape ceases to exist and all we're left with is the map itself. 
Environmentalism is just the map of a landscape and the richness and the mysteries of it that has been forgotten. Um, fandom is just the map of the richness and depths and the artistry of the way that a particular thing can move a person, right? Because it could be fandom. Not bad, right? Yeah, they're not bad in and of themselves. It's what you do. And they're with... forgetting. And what's forgotten? Mm. Right. Mm. Okay. So Tolkien, you said that the way that he lived his life, he didn't go and become a hermit uh, apart from civilization, mm -hmm. thinking, oh, look how poor, how badly we've come to depend on technology and, and, and incorporate technology into our lives the way that we shouldn't. And that's just one example of what he maybe wouldn't have approved of, of the modernization of the world. But but he didn't go away. He, he stayed and he continued to participate, but he participated at Ugh, on his own terms. I'm not, I'm just, I'm yeah, not, I mean, some ways. It sounds a little bit, a little bit too like modern feminism. <laughs> but yeah, but like, he participated in a way that he thought was more true. Is that right? Yeah, more authentic. I, the, yeah, well, authentic is a great word, um, and it's an authentic. But it's not just in the way that he saw it. Right? This is not licensed to be like, well, I'm going to live my authentic life. No, no, but, but he thought this was for, this could be for all. That we all could in with Absolutely, his legendarium this, with the fabric, right? Because where he moved, he was connected to um, a larger uh, tradition of language and of encountering the world. It's summed up very well in just kind of words like humility, mm. wonder, mm. Uh, uh, longing, mm. uh, right? When these words capture a way of kind of moving through the world that extends us into the deep things of world, of time, of space. Um, okay. Uh, but yes, he um, he thinks that this is for all of us and in the way that we should do it on a daily basis. But what matters is and is the how and the authentic life is being connected to and for in and, and he's right about this through language, uh, um, the, the the richness of uh, of the world itself. So we hear kind of like um, ideas of re-enchanting the world, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And that that that's fantastic. It can, it can kind of lose its 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 meaningness uh, if if we take it too far. But mm -hmm. um, what that means is is that w you know when we're in a forest, they're more than just forests. There are an appreciation of trees and the names of trees and the songs sung about that particular forest and that particular landscape, right? Mm. I think the emphasis here is what do we spend our time dwelling on and thinking of? When we think of kind of material things like the game with, with the ring, rather than reading more about the way that uh, the ancients would relate to war and to each other, right? Reading more poetry, reading more language, um, mm. investing in uh, the landscape that one is in, in that space, right? There's something more true to the Lord of the Rings in knowing the names of the rivers in your town mm. and the old names that hills were called than mm. playing Lord of the Rings Risk, right? Right. right? right. Or making your own game that incorporates those names into the landscape, right? Right. There's something because we're being transformed uh, by our investigation of it and being brought closer to the land, whereas the game itself, we think it's going to help us 
capture everything that we loved about Lord of the Rings, for example, um, but it's actually pulling us away from all those things. Okay, but I like games. I think that they're good for family dynamics. Yes, 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 yes. So, uh, um, and, and I play games, and I play board games. Okay, okay, and, yeah. um, right. Um, and this is not. I'm pretty uh, sure you're in 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 Richard's uh, Dungeons. Who and told Dragons you this? You did. You did on the last podcast. <laughs> I heard you on, sir. Um, and no, uh, um, there is. That's a that's another beast itself. Now games are right. Games are good. Play is good. Play is fun. But what I'm saying is, um, what, well, we're getting caught captured too much by the thing, the thingness. Yes. The precious. The precious. Yes. So my boy John Cassian, um, he probably knows more about uh, the Legendarium than I do. Okay. He, uh, um, he's, How old is he? He's he's eight. Um, but he loves, um, uh, is what's it called? Is it the lore of the ring? Is it, it's a, it's a YouTube, uh, there's, uh, there's nerd of the ring. It's um, nerd. Of the ring. That's yeah, it. I love that one. I actually watched that. Oh my goodness. And he knows. So he's like, no dad, Gilgalad is like such and such. And, yeah. and, uh, no, like, uh, Thorne's grandfather was, right? it's yeah. fantastic. I love it. Yeah. The thing I love about that though, is that it's, it is like sitting and hearing the old stories being told, right? Right. That there's not a kind of a, a consuming of a thing itself, but you're getting deeper and deeper into a world. Um, and so game like that, that moves us into worlds um, that allows us to explore and to create music and characters and narratives. Mm. Right. Again, but you can take it too far, like you were saying with the fandom. Like it can be taken too far in the oh. sense of where you lose it. You lose the point. Yeah, and also when you kind of lose track of what's good and true and beautiful, like, you know, right. the, I think back in the day, wasn't there like kind of vampire role playing where like people would like go out into the streets? This might, I think this is back in the day when like interview uh, at Anne Rice's, uh, the height of Anne Rice. Okay, uh, I, is this during like, yeah, the yeah, satanic yeah. panic or like, I, <laughs> like, I mean, I know that's when like Dungeons and Dragons got its really bad name. No, but this so. is like people would do like real, like this was like really early LARPing. It was like vampire LARPing. Okay. Out and the they streets. would bite people? I don't know. I've never participated in it. But what I do know is that that would be an example of, let's just say that it never happened and I just made up that story. Okay. But well, if we that were the case, it would be like going too far. And also we'd lose sight of, it'd be like wanting to get, you know, putting the ring on your finger. It's like, why would you want to do that? All the best people in the Lord of Rings didn't want to do that. As a matter of fact, they wanted to throw it into the... That's the thing. That, no, but that's the thing. That's why I feel like I've matured as a person. <laughs> that I'm happy to cast it aside into the right, depths. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, admittedly, like, you know, we bought my little boy uh, uh, the, the ring with the, with right. the, with the thing, you're, right? You're like, ah, oh, but just, just, just to be fully But we also talk yeah. about, like, the importance of, like, redirecting attentions, right? Right. This is the thing. It's cool. I know why you love it. It's awesome. I but know. Think, just right, right, this... But it, it represents, it, it's, and I think the idea, and again, I don't want to just, flush it down the toilet like the story that i heard about that would be i want to do i'd find it well <laughs> well i okay but no i want to do it i do i want to yeah. cast it aside cast it away in a ritualistic yes. no, sort I of love that. way in a participatory yeah. way the cool. way that they if i if we lived in hawaii and or in Washington near Mount St. Helen, like I right. would be all for going up to the mouth of the volcano and casting it in. But I don't. I mean, I do live near mountains, so I, we could go up to the mountains. But I don't know. It just feels a little bit more like 
bloop. I don't know. Well, I love that uh, whatever. Hey, but let me ask you a question. Can we bring yeah. um, uh, religion and theology into this? Oh, oh okay. You're like, can we wrap this up, please? I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I know we have a, l a little bit more time here. So you do have the words like, like the, uh, theology in there. So yes, please bring it in how you well, want. Well, I mean, we have language for this, right? I mean, and it doesn't even have to be, I mean, we also have philosophical language and the church father saw Plato and Plotinus. Plato, Plotinus came after him and was kind of mixing in a little bit of Aristotle um, into mm -hmm. his own writings. But the language of the desires of our needs, our kind of uh, um, the desires of the external world, um, they are they misalign our souls. That there is an education and a practice and an asceticism. Mm -hmm. I'll use that loosely in quotes. Mm -hmm. That's required to kind of shape our souls in order to participate more fully in a more true reality. Okay, so go into that, please. I mean, it's the reason, I mean, we're in the season of Lent, uh, speaking right. about this, right, in the Western Church and in the uh, Eastern Orthodox Church, we're in the season of Lent. Um, Lent is not about keeping the soul. Shmemon, Alexander Shmemon has a great book, uh, a Great Lent. He's an Eastern Orthodox theologian from the 20th century. And he's like, look, Lent is not about um, denying the body. Because that's about, what, yeah, it's like denying oneself uh, is what a lay person would think of. Right. Yeah. It's about training us for what a real, the really real life looks like. It's about. Okay, well, what does that mean, though? Vito? I know. Like, it's what about, does that it's mean? About, it's about re-attuning um, our attentions, reshifting our attentions to the true things of human existence okay. that aren't merely the material things of this world. Okay. Right. Um, and they include. Right. And let's bring Plato back into this, lest we think that, oh, this is just Christian. It's like, no, this is like the Western tradition. Plato would call the tyrant uh, somebody um, who is gluttonous. Mm. Gluttony is related to tyranny. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so because all of these things have to do with more uh, than simply uh, the things that we want and need and feel. But we need to train ourselves uh, in order to kind of draw closer to uh, uh, the the true and the really real things of the world, uh, mm -hmm. of reality. And Tolkien is doing this in his own way. He's saying that mm, it's not in his own way. He's tapping into a tradition. He's saying right. mythology has is a part of human existence because it does precisely that, mm -hmm. right? And it, that's the way that it functioned. Right, but right. it adjusts they, our 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 view. It here's adjusts. the truth, though. As soon as we say mythology or that's mythological, th the mythology no longer functions for us, because now we we're think not real. We think not real. We have we're distant. Oh, that's just to explain the reason why the sun rises and the sun sets. Right, uh, this is kind of 19th century philology stuff. Yeah. It's like no, yeah. if that's the case then what we need to do is that we need to kind of create, we need to do a, a mythology that we kind of extract from the past and kind of begin to shape our world around um, so that we don't think of it as mythology. We think of it as this is what it means to be a human being in the proper way in an age of machines. Right. Okay, okay, yes, because I'm thinking about time and time again, the, the patterns that come up in the legendarium. Mm, 
yes, the, yes. The, the, the big bad, you know, whether that be Melkor, Morgoth, or um, Sauron, Anatar. Mm-hmm. Or uh, you'll need to know that for the uh, upcoming um, Amazon uh, uh, Lord of the Rings show, everyone. Precisely. I assume I'm presuming, but anyway. Um, and then and then Sauron, like in the as we see him in mm-hmm. the Third Age. So they always are about consuming and, and mechanization, but yeah. it, it weakens them in a way because it draws them away from who they are. Because they well, started off as good good members of. The Einar part, like in the music of Iluvatar in the beginning, and, and so they were good, but yeah. then the more that they, I don't want to say consume, but the more mechanized, mixed with consumption, mixed with the that wanting, the greed, that, uh-huh. the, the more tyrannical, because it kind of sparked this when you said about the tyrant. Yeah. Um. The more the the more they're removed from who they are or could have been or were. And and the the less authentic selves, if you want to say in modern, uh-huh. yeah, way, the more hollow and less, they become less. The more wraith-like they become. Yes. Oh, one could say. Right. <laughs> one could uh, even say, yeah. And just along those lines, I mean, we should point out. I mean, the Silmarillion is a story. Hmm, it is the history of us told in terms of making. It's all about making. The music of the Ainur is about making. The Silmarils is about making. The Rings is about making, right? Making things and crafts. Magic itself is a technology that makes. The question is, what does it look like from time immemorial, from the beginning of the ages? What does it mean to make correctly, to use correctly, to live correctly? Right? And it's glorious. That's, and that's where you've got to go uh, read the source material, folks. <laughs> it's glorious. Um, yeah. So. I like that. I like that as a, as a spot to, to end because it, it isn't actually answerable because it's not through answering. It's through living. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's living. You don't, I mean, we could come up with some sort of answer. That's what this entire sure talk has been is answering the question you just said but it's really in how do we participate how do we frame things how do we look at others and things and our world um how do we relate to them and and then and then through read and and in the reading and discussion in the proper fan level right we we can turn our faces like towards valinor yeah i dig that i dig that (laughs) Right. So, so, but it, it is in the participation. It is in the living it out. Because you can say say it as, as much as you want, but it doesn't mean anything unless you live it. At least that's yeah. from my my own perspective. All things and all ages and all people are east of Valinor. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a good place to end. I think that we'll. Big. We'll cut it there. Thank you so much for coming on what my great time. channel. Thank this you for was, having... This was fantastic. Like it was really in the fullest sense of that that word. And I I will ask you to come back when the Amazon. Let's do it. I love it. We're gonna have a lot to wade through. So. <laughs> it's mine. My own. My precious.